So this comes from Jonah. Uh, so we'll read from the, the book of Jonah. Starting in chapter 1, then we'll also read in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the, their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And let's move over to chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O oh Lord, it is, not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious, God, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under the, in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said to Jonah, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, for, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, not didn't make your, make, no, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, and I pray that you just be with Ryan now. Um, as he brings your word and what you have laid on his heart, Lord, and illuminate our minds and draw us closer to you. Put us in Jesus' name. Amen. As the soul is to the body, so are Christians to their city. These were some of the earliest words ever written to describe the character of the church. Jeremiah encouraged a group of homesick exiles to build houses, plant gardens, take husbands and wives to seek the welfare of the city where they were being sent into exile and to pray to the Lord on its behalf saying that in seeking the welfare of this city, we somehow find our own welfare. As New City Church, we want you to lay down your lives, to invest in this city for the sake of the city. Jesus spent most of his life in the city of Nazareth, but never really got further than the city of Jerusalem. Jesus turned the world upside down, but basically never left an area the size of Metro Atlanta. He was called to dwell among a specific people in a specific place with a specific purpose. 
God has called us as New City Church to specific places, to neighborhoods, to offices, restaurants, and to cities all around Gwinnett County. And each of these places have eternal significance in God's kingdom. The question is, will we simply be consumers of the commodities that these cities have to offer us, or will we lay down our lives for the welfare of these cities? Our joy in this journey is all wrapped up in how we live where we are. How will the life of Jesus be manifest in us? So New City, we invite you to make a conscious decision to live in the places you live with purpose. We invite you to be in the city for the city. New City. How we doing? Here we are. Hey, Evan Simmons put that together for us. Can we give him a hand for doing that for us? Do a great job on that. Uh, as you can tell, and as you've heard a couple times, we're in a, an exciting season of our church at the, at the point of no return. Uh, we're going for it. We think God's called us to something uh, much bigger than where we, ha where we are and where we've been. And uh, our staff team, our elders, we're all in uh, ourselves. We're, we're, we're in uh, sacrificially in prayer. We're all in and giving. We're going to do whatever we can as a leadership team uh, to make this thing happen and follow God in the midst of it. And, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the generosity initiative in the sermons that I preach, uh, but Mike McAuliffe is going to come alongside of that and give some details and let you know how you can be engaged in that. The, the thing I want to ask for each of you to do as we enter into this five-week series, though, uh, is to begin praying right now and how God might invite you to be involved in it. Uh, because here's one thing I know, living generously uh, doesn't happen on accident. Uh, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, it happens as God meets with us and we meet with God and we seek uh, His face. And it's already been happening with Megan and I as we've been seeking the Lord on it. And in a couple of opportunities in the past few weeks, God has given us opportunities to just live generously in some different ways. And, and, and our, our process is, hey, you pray about a number, I'll pray about a number, let's see what happens. And, and typically what happens is, it'd be great if that number was the same, but we've just kind of chosen whatever the bigger number is, we're going to go for it and just see what God does. You know, let's just see what God does in the midst of it. Um, will you, so will you agree with me um, and, and, uh, to, to prayerfully enter these next five weeks? Would you do that? Would you consider that as God leads us into this? And, and through this, this new series we are rolling out a set of revised values. When we started New City Church, uh, we, we had some values that were very biblical and godly values, but what we didn't know that we do know now is how those values live themselves out in our particular context here in Gwinnett County and specifically Lawrenceville. And so we, we set out on a journey uh, over the last six to eight months to really discover who we are in Jesus here in Lawrenceville, here in Gwinnett County. And, and these values are like continuums that we see God doing and, and setting us on this journey. And, and the four of them are here on this banner. They're humbled by grace and depending on the Spirit. In the city, for the city. Reconciled and reconciling. Planted and planting. Today we're going to talk about in the city, for the city. Uh, in 2012, Megan and I moved to Lawrenceville uh, from Indianapolis uh, here at the county seat of Gwinnett County. And when we got here, we noticed something strange. There was a bunch of people moving out, 
But there were just as much and more people moving in. And we saw this in our neighborhood of the house that we purchased here in Lawrenceville. And what we began to notice through that, that process is that folks were moving out for a reason. It wasn't just happenstance. For the most part, the narrative was this. We don't like what this community is becoming. We need to get out of here. Now, on the other side of this, there was this group of people that was moving in and they say, we love what this community is becoming. We want to invest in it. We want to be a part of it. Two narratives, two stories happening at the same time. Megan and I are watching it unfold between our eye, it, before our eyes. And, and, um, and, and we made a conscious decision then. We'd never lived like this before, but we made a conscious decision then that we were going to actually live in a place on purpose. Like to intentionally live among our neighbors, to intentionally live in our community, to intentionally be on mission if, with whatever sphere of influence God gives us in this community. And it's really made all the difference as we've moved forward here uh, in Lawrenceville. Now, places, they're all over the Bible. You know, Jesus was born in a place. He did most of His ministry in a place. He was crucified in a place. Places matter. Places matter to me and you. When I ask you where you were born, you'll tell me. When I ask you where you're from, you'll tell me. When I ask you where you live, you'll tell me. Places matter. You know why places matter? Because God made them, and He saves people in the midst of them. Places matter. Now, we all have our own levels of brokenness in regards to how we relate to places. Right? If I were to ask some of you, you would say, you know, I'm kind of a military brat. I don't lay down roots anywhere. I just move around because my parents move around. So I know that because I'm not going to be here long, I'm just going to keep shallow roots. And others of you might say, you know, things like, uh, I'm only here for a year for my job assignment, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, hop around to different places and because I know that there's another destination for me. And others of you might say, you know, this place isn't what it was when Grandpa lived here and he owned that piece of property over there. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. On the other side of the ditch, you might say things like this. You know, I've, I've been here my whole life. I don't see myself ever moving. But God could give you an Abraham-type moment where He calls you to leave the land of Ur and to go out into the land that you do not know yet. We all have a relationship to place, and God is saving us, has saved us, is saving us, and will save us in relation to place. He will do that. So I, what I want to do today is I want you to consider the, both the beauty and the brokenness of how you relate to place because it matters. It matters for the sake of what New City Church is going after and it matters for your own sanctification as well. So my aim today is uh, that from the Scriptures you might see the places God has placed us are the very conduits that He uses to save us. And because of that, we're walking on holy ground no matter where we're at because Jesus is with us. Abraham Kuyper once said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, mine. What if we began to live that way, New City? What if we began to live in community, in such a way that the places that God called us, Acts chapter 17, He's, he's predetermined the, the boundaries of our dwelling places. What if we actually believe that where God has us now is where God wants us? And where God wants to use us, where God wants to redeem us, and where God wants to use us to reach others. What if we actually believe that? 
what, what would God do through a group of people that lived that way? Our big idea of where we're going today is this. The church needs the city, and the city needs the church. Let me say it one more time. The church needs the city, and the city needs the church. Now, we're going to be predominantly in the book of Jonah today, which might strike you as an interesting place to be. Uh, but as I began to read the story, I thought, man, this is exactly where we need to be today. Because when you think about the story of Jonah, what do you typically think about? You know, the, your, your, your children's class that you were in or the Bible story, you think about this man that got swallowed by a well and spit out on the beach, right? Anybody? I mean, that's what you think about predominantly when you hear about the story of Jonah. You're like, man, is that actually a real story? That sounds crazy. Well, I would say that that, that is kind of a footnote to the, to the bigger narrative of what Jonah is. What the book of Jonah is to me is a story about a man wrestling with the call of God to bring grace to a city. That's what it's about. It's, it's the story about a man wrestling with God about God's call to bring grace to a city. Now, herein lies Jonah's rub and our rub. We should go jump straight to the chase here. This, God is seeking to bring grace to this lost city, Nineveh in this case. And, and it's the religious people who keep getting in the way. Think about that. God desperately wants to bring grace to this city. He is more than ready to bring grace to this city. And he's, as we talked about last week, He's always used His people to do supernatural, His supernatural work through. And Jonah is the problem. So the question that you and I have to consider today as we get in the book of Jonah is this. We know that the heart of Jonah is buried in us too. Are we the people getting in the way of God bringing grace to the city? Or will we make a conscious decision to be in the city and for the city? So let's flip open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. We'll be in uh, Jonah 4 as well. It's a, a, a minor prophet in the back of the Old Testament there. First point I want to make is, is this. The church needs the city. The church needs the city. So, uh, you know, we're deeply rooted in place, as, as I've talked about, and God's work in our life is rooted in place. So how am I going to define a city today? A city, here's, where, here's the way I want to define it. A densely populated, diverse place that reveals brokenness and beauty. A densely populated, diverse place that reveals brokenness and beauty. Now, whether you live in Lawrenceville, whether you live in Loganville, whether you live in Duluth, whether you live in Swanee, it doesn't matter where you live, that's true of where you live. A densely populated place that reveals beauty and brokenness. We just happen to think that the city of Lawrenceville is a strategic place because it's the county seat of one of the biggest counties in Georgia and definitely the most diverse county. We think it's a, a major opportunity for us. So as I talk about city, that's the lens that I want you to look through. I don't want you to say, well, I don't live in Lawrenceville, so this really ain't about me. That's not the case. It's, a, it's about you no matter where you live because that describes where you live. So here, here's the first thing we, we see in Jonah chapter 1, if you got your Bible open there, is that our pride resists the call to the city. Our pride resists the call to the city. Let's, let's reread Jonah 1, 1 through 3 here. Uh, scriptures say this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose just as quick as he heard it, basically, to flee to Tarshish, which if you look on a map is the opposite direction, by the way. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He says that two times. Away from the presence of the Lord. Here's what we see. The call of God to Jonah is, is to be God's mouthpiece to a city who doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. Who doesn't know about the way of salvation. They don't know about it. His call is Jonah, you know about it. Therefore, because you know God, Jonah, because you know Yahweh, you are a privileged individual. And you have a responsibility to steward that knowledge and life that you have in God. You have a responsibility here, Jonah. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to go. He goes the opposite direction. And why does he do that? Because Jonah's pride reveals, reveals that he thinks that the people of Nineveh are ultimately an undeserving people of this message of God's mercy and grace. They don't deserve to hear the message of God because they don't have anything to prove. They don't have anything that they've done to earn a relationship with God. And so, uh, you know, when you think about this, we see that it's because somewhere something deep inside of Jonah is broken because he really wants them to get what they deserve. And we see that play out in the, the next three chapters as well. He really, something, man, they need to get what they deserve. They, they're, they're due what's coming to them. He doesn't have a category for God's grace for people that sin, get this, differently than him. Right? Because here's what we know that's true from the Scriptures is that we are all sinners. And (laughs) our preference is to be around people that sin the same as us so they won't call us out on our own sin. Alright? Amen? That's what we're prone to. That's what we want. Because it's more palatable to live among people that sin like you than people that sin differently. One of the beautiful things about the city, one of the things that's beautiful about Gwinnett County, it's diversity, is we see all different types of beauty and all different types of brokenness. Jonah's not interested in being around broken people that are different than him. Now, my heart is this. You know, I, um, I think that God can redeem suburban culture through you and through me. You know, because the way that I see Lawrenceville is kind of this uh, urban-leaning suburban community. And what do I mean by that? The dynamics that I deal with, guys, in this school when I'm here during the week, the dynamics that you deal in the places that you work, the places that you live, are very much urban dynamics. We may look at a map and we may see, oh, that's outside of Atlanta. This is an urban place with urban issues. This is a city. I think that God wants to do deep work here. Now, a lot of times, if you're anything like me, I don't want to enter in. I'm like, I'm like Jonah because I don't want to enter in because I think if I talk to that person, I'm obligated to fix it. I'm obligated to fix them. Their situation, their poverty, their brokenness, their, their marriage is kind of on the, on the rocks over here. I don't have the time to meet. I, you know, there's all of these different things that go through my mind and they all come back to who? Me. Me. I'm looking at myself to be the Savior in this situation, and so I just don't enter in because there's no way I can do it. That's a beautiful place to be when you realize that you can't do it because Jesus is the one that's promised to fix things. He's the one that's promised to bring renewal. He's always the fix. Now, 
We've said that our pride resists the call to the city, but here's the second part of that. Our pride resists the call to the city to people that are different than us because the city does what? Reveals our brokenness. I mean, I really believe that God's call for Jonah to go to Nineveh might have been just as much or more for Jonah than it was for Nineveh. Think about that. Oh, that poor city. Yeah, God did have mercy. But the city of Nineveh walks away redeemed in this sense. They've repented. Jonah walks away as a man that's still broken and wrestling with God. You ever, you ever read the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? I like, uh, I like what some authors have said. It's the parable of the two lost sons because there's two lost boys and only one of them gets saved. And it's not the one that thinks that he's saved, right? He's the one that thinks he has a good relationship with the father, but what you see in the story is that he's really more lost than the son that ran away and was eating pig food. I mean, he's more lost. And so what, what the city does whenever we enter into the brokenness that's around us and we make that our mission as a church to resist the call to flee, to resist our own Tarshish, we've all got them. When we make the decision to, to, to resist that, what we see is that God is actually saving us as we enter in. He's revealing something about us. So God sends him to Nineveh. And we notice that God does deep work there because what happens when he, when he goes to Nineveh? In Jonah 2, he prays. You know, he's in the belly of the fish. He prays. God hears his prayer. Spits him, the fish spits him out. He ends up on the shore, uh, the shores of, of Nineveh. And uh, he walks into Jonah 3, reluctantly preaches a message he hardly believes, and God saves the whole city. I mean, it's like low-hanging fruit galore. I mean, they're just, they're just turning sackcloth and ashes. They are ready to repent. It's amazing what he does there. But Jonah's response is what? Let's turn over to Jonah chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, flip it over a couple pages. When they repent, Jonah is pumped because they're going to have this big baptism service, right? <laughs> Hardly. Listen to this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Wow. If you have somebody that's deeply broken and lost in your life, and if they came to faith, that would be your heart? If God forgave them of all the harm they'd done to you? All the pain that they caused you? That you would be in exactly the same place. You see. I'll forgive, but I won't forget those dangerous, dangerous words in our vocabulary, right? It displeased Jonah exceedingly that God save them. He was angry, it says. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God. He's quoting the book of Exodus here. And merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew your character. I knew you would do this. I knew that you would save them all if I showed up here. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to die than live. How dark of a place you have to be to believe that, yet I find myself there. I'm honest. There are people that have hurt me that I'd rather them, rather them burn than be saved. And that's dark, isn't it? But I bet there might be people like that in your life too. 
the city reveals our brokenness. Because if we can't see our brokenness in the city, we're blind to our own sin. Jonah's probably like, God, you'll just forgive anyone, won't you? These people don't deserve you. Why are you doing this? Whatever the situation is for you, whatever the place that you're in right now, whatever person or type of person that you disdain that might be found in our community, I want you to consider that God's grace to them might be the very thing God is using to save you. That, that type of person that lives that certain way that you've got in your mind right now that you avoid. You do everything you, you can to avoid them. Your call to them might be the thing that God is using to do the deepest work in your heart and in your life. And yet, we might be the people getting in the way of that. Jonah 4, verses 4 and 5 goes on to say this, And the Lord said, you know, Jonah's mad. Do you do well to be angry? I picture Job, the, the story with Job here when Job is questioning God. He's like, hey, where were you when I you know, put the moon and the stars in place and all that kind of stuff? But Jonah went out of the city. That's key, right? When God saved him and he's arguing with God, the first thing that Jonah does is he bolts. I'm out of here. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could so he should see what would become of that city. Let me just see what happens with this. Let's see if God's really going to save him or if he's going to destroy him. He's an outsider looking down on the city. It's Jonah's heart. Jonah bails on the city God calls him to because he can't bear what's inside of himself, I would argue. He looks down his nose and waits for God to condemn them. But if, if Jonah would have stayed in the city, let's just hypothetically speaking, Jonah stays in the city. He's still wrestling with God, but all of a sudden, he starts to meet this man that was addicted to this and that, and God's redeeming him and saving him. He knows his name, and if the man invites him into his house. To eat. He starts to meet this single mom over here that's raising kids by herself. And God's all of a sudden doing this work and putting her life back together. God starts to meet Jonah starts to meet people like Zacchaeus that maybe used to take advantage of him. Maybe he's got his own thought of who those people would be. He starts to put names with faces. He starts to rub shoulders with the very people that God has saved. You think Jonah's mind would have changed about those people. You see, you have to see people if you want to show compassion to people. This is one of the major things we learn from Jesus. Matthew 9.36, listen to this. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. The compassion came from seeing the people that were following him. Because what did he see when he saw them? They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, whenever I look out at the people that I disdain the most that might be found in my city, is that my heart? Do I see the people that God has called me to share life with? Do I see the people in my community? How many people 
church, and this is where it gets real. How many people in our city, in your neighborhood, in our community, are like these Ninevites, just waiting for someone who will tell them that Jesus forgives them and they don't have to carry those burdens anymore? How many people are just waiting for someone like you who's privileged enough to know the king of the universe to share with them a message that they can be free? How many people are all around us like that? We go on to this next point. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there any call of God in my life right now that I'm absolutely running from? I am in Tarshish right now because I don't want to do what God's called me to do. Do you see? Is there any spot in your life? There's probably a spot for each of us, I'm guessing. Don't just gloss over this today. Sit in the middle of that, write it down, remind yourself about it, and begin to pray about it because. What we see from Jeremiah 29 that we're going to look at in a few minutes is that when you seek the welfare of the city, when you seek the welfare of those that God has put you among and called you to be with, you find your own welfare. So if you resist the call to the city, to that place that God's called you, that person He's called you to, and you disdain it, you're only hurting yourself because God will raise up someone else to reach your neighbor. He will. You're missing out in the middle of it. God could have sent someone else other than Jonah. God sent Jonah because He loved Jonah and wanted to save him. Jonah wasn't the only guy He could have sent. So we, we, you're getting the point. We need the city. The second point is this. The city needs the church. Uh, let's flip over to Jonah 4, 6-11. through 11. Let's finish the book of Jonah here uh, in chapter 4. Uh, we see this from Jonah 3 that God... Uh, God's people have a message about how our burdens can fall, fall away. A, a God who promises to give us rest if we'll just stop running. We, we see that message from there. Jonah 4, 6-11. God shows Jonah another way. Listen, listen to this. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn had come up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He was in the middle of the desert. And he asked that he might die. It's the second time Jonah's asked for this. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And then the point of it all comes right here in the last verse. Should I not pity Nineveh? You pity that plant. You didn't do anything for it. It served you. It gave to you. And you pity it. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Isn't that funny? God pursues Jonah multiple times in the story, doesn't He? He pursues him to the bottom to the bottom of the sea, right? And He pursues him to the desert as well. And He, he points this plan to come up and remind Jonah of this story of grace that God's given him. And Jonah wants to run away again. He wants to hit the eject button on life. Just fly out of that situation. He'd rather die. He was 
suicidal, frankly, it sounds like. He was depressed. And what God was trying to tell him all along was this, Jonah, you're just like them. And when you see that, you'll want to share this message with everyone. When you see that you are the one that's in Nineveh, you are the one that's as far away as you can possibly be from me, when you actually see and believe that, Jonah, you'll understand what your mission in life is. It's not to move out to the desert and look down your nose at those Ninevites. It's not to go out to Tarshish and look over at those Ninevites. It's to be among the Ninevites and minister to them because that's what I've done to you, Jonah. Jonah's frustrated with awakening in the city because he doesn't have awakening in his own heart. God wants to extend His grace to broken and lost people including us. He wants to redeem His creation and the, even the economy of Nineveh, right? I mean, think about this. Why does He say, you know, there's 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from their right hand and also much cattle? What were cattle? Those were IRA accounts out there, okay? <laughs> Those were investments. It was a bank with hair, right? God wanted to redeem the economy of Nineveh too for kingdom purposes. God cares about your stuff. That's one of the things we need to see in this series. That He's called you a steward of His stuff. And the question is, never how much can I afford to give, but it's always how much can I afford to keep? Because it's God's stuff. God sent Jonah for the people, but also for the economy, for the things that He made, for all the purposes that work together for our good. It all works together for our good. Everything that God made. Keller, Tim Keller says this in his, um, uh, in his, in his uh, article about a theology of cities. He says this, God made the city to be a developmental tool. A form of cultural gardening. Get this. Designed to draw out the riches He put into the earth. Nature and the human soul at creation. Even after the fall, cities are places of common grace. Though each factor also now can be used for its evil purposes. The city, which we've defined as this densely populated, diverse community that you and I live in, reveals the deepest, darkest brokenness and the highest and brightest beauty uh, that we could ever see. So what do we see that Jonah does? He hits the eject button and he, 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 when God saves the city, when God shows His grace to the city, he finds himself moving out to his three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, two-car garage, suburban house, doesn't he? But it's a worse brokenness than he saw in the city because he's isolated and not walking with God in community. Jesus, here's the good news. This has all been bad news up until this point, right? Jesus is the better Jonah. Okay? Amen? Jesus is the better Jonah. The point of this is not be like Jonah. The point of this is seek Jesus. In the suburban flight of Jonah, we don't have a happy ending. At the end of Jonah 4, as I said, we still have a lost man wrestling with God that's called him to extend grace to a sinful city. Does that describe your life today? Are you running from God and wrestling with God's call on your life today? Jesus is better than Jonah because with Jesus, here's what God does. He looks down on the inner city brokenness of our hearts And when he should have, and he could have, hit the eject button on us and said, I'm done with them. And wiped us off the planet 
what does he do? He moves into our neighborhood. When he looks down on the inner city brokenness of our heart and our communities and what we make up, he moves into the neighborhood. How can we be a church like that? One that doesn't move out but moves in when we see the brokenness. I love what John 1.14 says. It describes this, this doctrine of incarnation where Jesus, got, because of the Father's love, John 3.16, God sends Jesus to the world. John 1.14 says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so let's think about that. The, the eternal, transcendent God becomes imminent and incarnational with sinners. You see the, the collide there? I love how Eugene Peterson says it. He says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's good, right? That's helpful for us. That's what He's done. So when God looks down and He sees our inner city brokenness in our hearts, He doesn't move out on us. He moves in. So here's the question as we close. Where do we start? How do we do this? We all are prone to Tarshish, but God has called us to Nineveh. We're all prone to think Tarshish is something that's better for us, but God calls us to plant ourselves in Nineveh. We are called to be in the city for the city, the city church. We're called to be in the middle of it. In the city, incarnational living. Church, think about this. We are the only ones on the face of the planet that can look at brokenness and not be phased. We can look in the middle of someone's life that is running off the rails and still have hope because we've seen it happen in our own hearts and lives, haven't we? We're the only people that can do that. We're the only people that can look at someone else in a situation and still think, here's what could be. I know what it is, but here's what could be if Jesus were to do His work and the Holy Spirit were to come upon your life. Here's what could be in this situation. Why? Because we follow a transcendently imminent God. He's high above and He's right in the middle of it. And that's what He calls us to do. In The Rise of Christianity, uh, which is a book that Rodney Starks wrote, um, he, he, he describes uh, basically how Christianity has grown over time. 2,000 years. And in it, he, he talks about these two epidemics that hit the Roman Empire in, uh, around the year 160 A.D. and then again in 250 A.D. And these, these, these epidemics killed, uh, at their height, 5,000 people a day. We don't know exactly what the epidemics were. They were probably measles or smallpox or something like that, but they were lethal. And, uh, and he writes about the character and nature of the church, the Christians that were there, through his research, obviously, of different writers. He writes to describe what the Christians did because the church blew up in the Roman Empire, right? You guys know that. And here's how he describes their response to these epidemics. I'm going to give you kind of two statements here. They're not going to be on the screen, so just listen. One is how the Christians lived. The other is how the heathens and the pagans lived in that day. Here's how the Christians lived. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, 
attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with the departed, uh, this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease. Drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters or pastors, deacons and laymen winning high commendation so that their death in this form, through their death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. On the other side, the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spreading contagion of the fatal disease, but do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. What changed Rome in these years? It was the fact that Christians stayed when everyone else left. Church, can we be the people that stay? Can we be the people that stay in people's lives when it gets really messy? Can we have enough theology of place that says, even though this feels like Nineveh, God is here. Can we be these people? Can we be in the city? And lastly, can we be for the city? Can we invest in this city? In, in the book of Jeremiah, he's, he's prophesying to this, this culture that's, that's similar to and, and even more massive um, than Nineveh. The, Babel, the Babylonian Empire. And the Israelites are they're disoriented about how to honor God and serve Him. And uh, they no longer have a place because they're in exile. So they, they carry around this knowledge of God that they have, but they have no place to root themselves. And so, Jeremiah prophesies to them. He gets a word from the Lord and he says this in Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Here's how God tells Israel to live. Even though they, they know that God has a place for them, a promised land that's that's, 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 that's physical on earth, but, but more importantly, heavenly. They're citizens of heaven. Even though they've got that, he says there's a certain way you ought to live even when you're in exile. Even when you're in an unfamiliar place that doesn't belong to you. And there's nothing you can do about it. He says, live like this. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles in whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Don't just live in tents. Don't just meander around. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. So God tells them, basically, here's what He says. Hey, I know you're in exile. I know you don't want to be here. But here's the deal. I sent you here. First words in those verses. I sent you here. You didn't just happen to get here. I sent you here. Yeah, you sinned. And yeah, this is punishment. And this is, this is discipline for that to some degree. But I, still, I sent you there because I have a purpose for you there. 
because I'm interested in saving you in a particular place and what you've got to do when you're in exile. And we could say, spiritually speaking, that Christians are in exile too, right? We're citizens of heaven, but we find ourselves on earth. We have this dual citizenship. And a lot of times we're prone to care more about our citizenship in heaven than we do our citizenship on earth. And Jeremiah says, how dare you? Jesus would pray the same thing, wouldn't he? The Lord's Prayer that we love to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth. Right here, right now. Pray and seek the welfare of the city that I've called you to as you seek your own welfare because that's where you're going to find it. Invest. As I was, Megan and I were talking about planting a church I met with this guy named Randy Neighbors, and Randy said, um, I said, Randy, how can we reach the community? And he could sense in me that, that really I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. I wanted to, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to plant in Sugarloaf, but like reach the, you know, the inner city too. Does that make sense? If you live in Sugarloaf, it's awesome, but you, you get what I'm saying. I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to be safe and, and happy and, and live in my homogenous culture over here, but I, but I want to have the benefits of reaching this community. He said, Ryan, there's no way to do that. You can't commute in for ministry. You've got to live incarnationally. And so church, that's what we're going after here. Is it going to be difficult? Do we know fully what we're in store, what's in store for us? Not really. No. But we know that God has called us to be among the people of this community. The same way that He's called us to be among the people of whatever spheres of influence and community that you have. Can we, can we let this be true of us, church? As the body is to the soul, so is new city to its city. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank You so much for this call that You've given us, Lord. Lord, I, I just pray against the heart of Jonah that's in each of us that looks down on others. It thinks somehow we've got it more together than other people. Lord, may we not hide behind our houses and our cars and our bank accounts and our vocations and our schedules or our families. God, may we be open about our brokenness so that we can be used of You. God, we don't want to get in the way of Your work in this community. God, there's no other way to do this than to be among the people You've called us to. So God, would You help us to be a people that are in this city and for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone say, Amen.